0: We are in the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, and we are just finishing up chapter one and starting chapter two of the book of Ruth. So if you can find Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Bible, then right after that is Joshua and then Judges and then a little book, Ruth. And if you've hit first Samuel, you've gone too far. It's just before first Samuel. Okay, so in Ruth chapter 1, reading from verse 22. And Naomi, returned with, uh, and Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion, the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Okay, so remember there were were three widows, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Orpah has gone back to her own family at the request of Naomi. Naomi had asked Ruth to go back, but Ruth said, no, I'm going to stay with you. And so they uh, they come back into the land of Israel, and they go back specifically to the Bethlehem area, which is the region where um, Naomi had originally come from. And it says that Naomi returned with Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law. So it was really Naomi who was returning, and Ruth had never been there before. And this was at the beginning of the barley harvest. So they were just beginning to harvest the barley at this time. And remember, there had been a famine in the land previous to this. And so now... There had been a period of time where they were able to replant, and the barley was now being harvested. And it says in verse 2, we're introduced initially now to Boaz. And it says of Boaz, he was related to Naomi's uh, husband, her husband who had died. Her husband's name was Elimelech, and Boaz was a man not of just wealth. It says that Boaz was a man of great wealth. There is a difference. So, he was a man of great wealth, so he had tremendous means. He wasn't just a very well-off man, he was a a man that was greatly well-off. And he was of Ruth's husband's family, and his name is Boaz. And then it says that Ruth said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter." So what was permitted in the land of Israel, and the law was, was unyielding on this, very strict about this, is that the poor could go into anyone's field after it had been harvested and pick up the scraps that were remaining. So the poor couldn't just go into a person's field and start, and start uh, uh, picking what, what they'd like. Now, if somebody just happened to be passing through, they were allowed to pick up food As they're passing through and eat, but they couldn't go and gather food unless a harvest had already occurred. And then it says you were not supposed to glean twice. You were not supposed to go through the field twice. You were not supposed to pick the fruit twice. Whatever you didn't get on the first pass, you leave that for the poor. And so Ruth requesting for Naomi, requesting of Naomi to be allowed to do this actually saved Naomi the embarrassment of having to go into the field and do this herself. So Ruth was doing this and, and doing this to very much together not just for herself but also for Naomi and here Naomi had come back before her husband had had certainly plenty enough for them and their family and now she was returning with nothing with no husband after losing her two sons and Ruth was going and willing to go into the field and start gathering for both herself and for Ruth. So let's look at what the law provided for, and particularly we want to note that Naomi is a widow, and Ruth is a widow. And what the Bible speaks about widows, and then what the New Testament tells us about widows, and widows indeed. It speaks about two categories of widows in the New Testament, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 14. So we're going to be in Deuteronomy for a little while, just looking at some scripture. So that's two books back. Look in Deuteronomy. So this is the law of Moses. And look at what God's care for the widow was. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28. I'm sorry, let's, let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 18, and here is, here is God Himself caring for the widow. Deuteronomy 10:18 says, "And He executes judgment, ju- He executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and shows His love for the alien by giving him food and clothing." So here is God's care. God says He is going to execute judge, uh, justice for the orphan, and for the widow, and for the alien of the land. So, by giving him food and clothing. And this is something that we need to remember. An orphan, a widow, and those who are aliens in our land, how we're to treat them with special care because God Himself looks out for them. God Himself does that. Now let's look in in Deuteronomy 14, verse 28. At the end of every third year, You shall bring out all the tithe of the produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So evangelicals are really good at talking about this verse in Malachi, which says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. And and uh, um, and that's fine. They, they, people can talk about whatever they like, and they say the storehouse is the church, so the whole tithe goes to the church. And that's fine. Anybody who wants to preach that, that's fine. There's no New Testament commandment that tells us to bring the whole tithe into your local body of Christ. I'm not opposed to that. In fact, I do that. But if we're really to look objectively at what the scriptures say, there is, here is a verse that talks about how every third year you're to bring your tithe and deposit it such that the Levite, those who ministered to the Lord, could eat, but not just them, also the alien, the orphan, and the widow. So here is the tithe going not just to the support of the religious folks that are working to to care for for the, the the tabernacle and the things going on with that but also it was to go to the alien to the orphan and to the widow who are in your town every third year they were supposed to do that so you see god's care for the alien for the orphan and for the widow We have a great opportunity, you know, being in the university to have have people from other countries around us, people who are aliens in this land, in a sense. We are to treat them extra well, just as we are to treat orphans and and widows extra well. Isn't it interesting that God puts them in a class all together? So much so that when you go to another land, if you have cared for the alien in your land, God will care particularly for you. He is a God who returns justice. Okay, so that, that, was, that was a commandment of Israel's care. Look in, in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Again, under the law, what was to be done? Verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Verse 9. You shall count seven weeks for yourself, and you shall begin to count seven weeks from the time you begin to put your sickle to the standing grain. Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering of your hand, which you shall give just as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, and your male and your female servants, and the Levite who is in your town, and the stranger... And the orphan and the widow who are in your midst in the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. Skip on down to verse 14. And you shall rejoice in your feasts and you and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns. Look at what God does. He says when you celebrate these feasts and these harvests, I want you to remember this is not just for you. And your family. This is also for your male and your female servants. Those who work for you. And this is also for the orphan, for the widow, and for the stranger in the land. I want you, Israel, he's saying, to have an open home. That you learn that on these times when you're celebrating your feasts, that you don't forget the orphan and the widow and the stranger of the land. We are not under this law. But what we can see from the practice of this is the hospitality. And there are numerous scriptures in the New Testament, and we've looked at them before, about practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality. When you do that, when you celebrate Christmas, when you celebrate Thanksgiving and you have your own home. I beg you to not be selfish and to say, well, you know, my family's going to be here, so we really can't have other guests, you know, because my mother-in-law, she's really sensitive. Well, let your mother-in-law get over it and invite people in. It's your home. You invite them in and you be gracious to them. And usually you will find that the guests that you invite in can become the center of attention. And because of their presence being there, things go much better. Because it's not so much turning on me and God, I expect, you know, this, this better be a good day, you know, it's my day off, it better be, no, you start giving out. What I learned when I was nine years old, is that if I, if my birthday came, if I looked and said, you know, I expect everything to be done for me this day, it was a miserable day. But if, what I learned is that if I expect nothing on my birthday, every little thing that I get is a tremendous treat, On Christmas, on on New Year's, on on Thanksgiving, when you have celebrations in your home, remember those who are less fortunate. If you know an orphan, if you know a widow in the church, if you know a stranger, if you know someone from another country, invite them in to be with you. Learn to be gracious. God specifically telling them, when you have your feasts, I want you, Israel, to be gracious. Now look at... at, uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24. This t- speaks specifically about the gathering of food. Deuteronomy 24:19. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. Isn't that interesting? He said, you can go through once and gather. There are other... Commandments, where he said, "I don't want you to gather all the way to the edges of your field. Leave those edges for the alien, for the orphan, and the widow. Leave that for them." And, he, and so, what was unyielding in Israel was this law. And so, the, the the poor could go through the land. And so, Ruth was now exercising this. Naomi had probably told her, "This is the custom in our land." This is the law in our land. And Ruth says, I'll do it. You don't have to do it, Naomi. I don't want you to have to bear this shame. I'll go out. And I'll, I'll, I'll glean for both of us. And so she goes out. But then what I want you to think about is the widow. Let's see what the New Testament has to say about widows. And in fact, in Israel, it didn't always go so well for the widow. You would think with all these laws, it would be fine with them. Everything would be just fine. That wasn't always the case. And in fact, many times when people would go to gather food, they were abused in the process of gathering it. So let's look in. in let's turn over just a few books, and you, you get First Samuel, Second Samuel, and then go to Second Kings. First Samuel, Second Samuel, then First King, and then Second Kings. And if you go to Second Kings chapter four, in Second Kings chapter four, you see that there was a, another uh, widow here in verse one. Now a certain woman, this is verse one, Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And so then Elisha went and he blessed her jar of oil and so on. But you see, here was a widow and the creditor was now coming to take her children as slaves. So even with the law of protection in Israel, you think, oh, everything goes well. No, I mean, it's just like any other society. You have laws, but the laws don't really always protect everybody in every situation. So even a widow, for widows, it was a precarious situation in Israel. And so you see here, even with Ruth and Naomi, this was going to be a tough life. Two widows with nothing, living alone, no husbands, no children. And so let's look in the New Testament, Acts chapter 6. So have they figured out all of this by the New Testament times? And now we're looking at the church in Acts chapter 6. So has the church, had the church figured it all out and you'd think by now that they'd properly take care of the widows. Acts chapter 6, reading from verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Whoa! Here you had communal gatherings, so you had this gathering of different people would come amongst a group of believers. There was a gathering, and they would serve food. So this communal bringing in of food, this is what was happening in the early church. They were bringing in food together for people to eat. But the Hellenistic Jews, the ones that had been accustomed to the, to the Greeks, and picked up a lot of the Greek culture, their widows weren't being served. They were being overlooked. Can you imagine if we have a church meal? We have church meal up here in this room every Wednesday night. And could you imagine if the widows came to go through the line and they said, no, no, you're a widow. You, go, you wait until everyone else is eaten and if there's anything left, you widows can eat. What kind of church is this? Well... It would be a New Testament church. (laughs) People say, well, we have a New Testament church. I say, oh, so you don't feed your widows? (laughs) This is the problems that they had in the New Testament church. This is what went on. There were problems in the New Testament church. So just because a church has problems doesn't mean you get up and leave. Oh, I'm going to go to a church that doesn't have problems. You will find every church has problems. Here, this New Testament church that was being run by all the apostles, they were still all there. In their church, in Jerusalem, the widows, who were of a little bit different dialect, weren't getting served. But the ones who were of the the native Hebrews, those widows were getting served. That's a pretty raw deal, isn't it? This is what was going on. So they hadn't really solved this problem. They had this communal sort of thing, and everybody was giving everything into a common pot. And we know from the later, from the epistles, which are our instruction. The book of Acts is an historical book, tells us of events that occurred. In the epistles, we have clear instruction. And the epistles never say put everything into a common pot. It actually exhorts the rich to be generous. And this system didn't work very well as we were seeing And the church in Jerusalem later became impoverished and had to get donations from the Gentile churches. And Paul's admonition to the rich was not, take all your money and give it to the church. He says, no, learn to be generous. Learn to be giving. Learn to be generous. That was the admonition to the rich. But you see, there were problems here with the widows. Now, let's read what we are instructed to do with widows in the book of Acts. I'm sorry, in the epistles. Let's first turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And so that's right after Hebrews. If you found Hebrews, go a little bit further and you'll find James. Chapter 1. And the last verse in James chapter 1. And talks about religion. It says, Pure and undefiled religion... In the sight of our God, this is verse 27, James 1, 27, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, in the sight of our God and Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. I don't know if you've ever heard evangelicals say, well, I'm not religious, I have a relationship. Well, it says right here, here's what religion is. It's okay to be religious. Religion is caring for orphans and widows in their distress. He says, "This is pure and undefiled religion. You want to know what it is? It is caring for orphans and widows in their distress." And let's look back in First Timothy. So you go back to the other side of Hebrews, and you'll see, you'll see there Second Timothy. Turn back to First Timothy, and we're going to look at chapter five. There's a whole section on widows. First Timothy chapter five. This is the instruction that we have concerning widows. 1 Timothy chapter 5, let's start reading from verse 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So, before we even get into the widow's part, look at the instruction of Paul to Timothy. Timothy is a younger man who's now an overseer, now a pastor of a church. He says... Don't sharply rebuke an older man. So even though the older man may be wrong, just remember you are younger than him. You don't go sharply rebuking him. Why? Because he's older than you. He says, but rather appeal to him as a father. So the way you address the older man is different than the way you would address your peer. Just because he's older. There is a certain type of respect that we give to people who are older than us. Remember to maintain that. So you go and you appeal to them as you would a father. So instead of saying, you were wrong, why did you do that? You were wrong, you shouldn't have done that. Instead of saying to them, you were wrong, you shouldn't have done that, you could say, why did you do it that way? You see the difference? Explain to me, why did why did you do it that way? I want to understand. And then you could say, might it have been better to do this? You see the difference? Rather than saying you were wrong, you shouldn't have done that. There's a different way of approaching it just because he's older. And it says, I want you to, uh, to younger men as brothers in the way you deal with them. Even though they're younger than you, I want you to appeal to them as brothers, to older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Look what he says, to younger women as sisters. What do you do with your sister? You care for her. Your sister you protect. Your sister you don't lust after. Even the thought of that is disgusting. He says you treat them as a sister in all purity purity when you're dealing with younger women you treat them as sisters in all purity because what happens is you move up and up into leadership young women will look at you like wow you know so much you're really great and you start feeling yeah i am (laughs) And, and 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 they start they start looking to you with this great sort of appreciation And you think wow these people really appreciate me this is really nice and what happens in the heart of a man is something that's really quite gross. Is they start feeling like there's something quite tremendous when they're really not. Whatever anointing they've had is from the Lord and not from themselves. And he says, you just remember, young man, as God brings you up, when you're dealing with young women, you look at them as if they are your sister. You have a care and protection for them. And you treat them with all purity. He's saying, watch out. Watch out. You treat them with all purity. Verse 3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. So this is interesting. He's setting apart two categories of widows. There are widows and widows indeed. Or widows in real need, some translations say. Verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family, and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues entreaties and prayers night and day, but she who gives herself to want and pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man having a reputation for good works and if she has brought up children if she has shown hospitality to strangers if she has washed the saints feet if she has assisted those in distress if she has devoted herself to every good work but refuse to put uh, uh to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard for Christ they want to get married thus they incurred common co- uh, condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge or faith At the same time, they should also learn at the same time they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house and give the enemy no occasion for reproach for some have already turned aside to follow Satan and if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that they may assist those so that it meaning The church may assist those who are widows indeed. Okay, so what does all this mean? I'll tell you, this guy wasn't very politically correct. Getting a lot of trouble saying that in the church today. But this is what the scriptures say. So there are two categories of widows. It says in verse 4 if a widow has children or grandchildren, they must take care of her. So if a widow, who should take care of and financially support a widow? Well, number one, if they have children or grandchildren, let them support their mother or their grandmother. This is what they are supposed to do. They are not to be a financial burden on the church. Children are supposed to take care of their widow, their, their widow mother or their widow grandmother. That is their job. He says in verse 8, if. if uh Anyone does not prescri- does not provide for his own and especially those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Pretty strong words. Okay, and, and then in verse 5, now he, now, now she who is a widow indeed and has been left alone. Now here's a widow indeed. Here's the characteristics. She fixes her hope on God, continues in treaties and prayers day and night. These are the characteristics of a person who is to be put on the list. And this list is going to mean where the church supports them. They have to, first of all, have had no children to support them. He says that she's going to have to be a godly woman, not just any widow that walks in the door. Going to have to have been a godly woman and prays all the time. But if she gives herself to wanton pleasure, he says she's dead even as she lives. Verse 9, a widow who is put on the list, it can be put on the list only if she's no less than 60 years old. So there's a firm requirement. She's got to be six, over 60 years old to be put on the list if the church is going to support her. This is not that the church can't bring her a meal. This is for supporting her, paying her rent month after month. She has to be over 60 years old. She has to have been the wife of one man or faithfully served. Her husband. Verse 10. Having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children. You say, well, how could she have brought up children? If she's brought up children, they were supposed to support her. That's right. If she has brought up children, they should be supporting her. She can't be put on the list. So in other words, if she's brought up children and her children are now dead. Because sometimes people's children, children die. Like Naomi's children. When they die... Then she can be put on the list if she's over 60, if she's had a life of prayer, if she's cared for the saints. Look at um, it in verse 10 again. And if she's brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers. You see what I was talking about? The hospitality to strangers is not just an Old Testament thing. Women, if you don't show hospitality to strangers, if you're in need as an old woman, the church doesn't need to meet that need. Because the church says, it says specifically, you need to have shown hospitality to strangers. God cares a lot about that. So that when things are going well, when you have Christmas, when you have Thanksgiving, you invite people in who may not have a place to go, and God will remember that. These are very clear and firm words. These are, this is what Paul is saying. He says, if she has washed the saints In other words, if she herself had learned how to take care of other people during her lifetime and used her good times to take care of other people, only then can she be put on the list. If she has assisted those in distress and has devoted herself to every good work. I mean, these are pretty strict requirements, right? I mean, there's no messing around here with Paul. You want to correct him? This is what he says. He says, but refuse to put younger widows on the list. When they feel sensual desires and disregard for Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have put aside their previous pledge. And that word pledge, if you look in the margin, it says literally it means their their oath. So in other words, if a person puts aside their faith in Christ, they say, hey, you know, I, I, that guy's kind of handsome. I think I'll marry him. Here I'm all alone and I think I'll just marry him. You put aside that former pledge. That is a terrible thing. You follow Christ and Him first. And, he, and then he gives characteristics of what happens to those folks. He says, so let them just get married. Now in verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, in other words, if you're taking care of widows in your home. She must assist those, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that they may assist those who are widows indeed. Don't burden the church with widows that are less than 60. Don't burden the church with widows that haven't had a life serving tremendously, serving other people. You can go ahead, their children should take care of them. And first of all, don't burden the church with any widow who has children. Let the children start practicing piety. You see, it's very small group of people who the church is supposed to fundamentally support in total. You see what I mean? The Scriptures tell us in 2 Thessalonians, if a man doesn't work, let him not eat. Not to say that you can't help out a family in need, but if somebody is unwilling to work, they are not to eat. If that doesn't sound very Christian to you, you don't understand Christian teaching. Christian teaching isn't giving to everybody in need. If they can work, let them work. If they can marry, let them marry. Don't burden the church. Something for me that I take from this verse, and it's not written explicitly here, so I don't put that upon you. But for me, I'll give you an example is that I don't mind at all helping out young people that are going on mission trips. I don't mind helping them out at all. But I am amazed at Christian fathers who will fly their Christian children to Aspen to go a week skiing over Christmas, spending who knows how many thousands of dollars to fly to Aspen to ski and everything. And now the kid wants to go on a mission trip and they're like, go raise your support. Well, rich dad, how about paying for them and leaving the church alone? Do you see what I mean? Care for your own. You've got the money, pay it. When my kids went on these short-term mission trips, I said, you're not going to go writing these letters and asking for money. I will pay it. And it's not because I've got thousands of dollars falling out of my pocket, but I can afford to pay the thousand dollars to send them to China on, on a mission trip. I can do that. So I do that because I don't want them to be a burden on the body of Christ. Let the body of Christ support those who don't have it. Do you see what I mean? I'm not going to offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. It says, don't be a burden on the church. And it talks about, specifically in this context, the care for widows. We are to care for other people. So that, that, that day when, you, you know, when I would hear that Hi and Chris would, would take Mrs. Harrison out, you know, they invite Mrs. Harrison out on dates. They, you know, they'll call her up at 1030 at night saying, you know, we're going to take you out for dessert. And they pick her up at 11 o'clock and take her out for dessert. I think this is tremendous. I mean, High and Chris didn't know, they have no idea the blessing that awaits them in heaven. And when they are old, the care that people are going to take care of them, the way they care for this widow. Not that Mrs. Harrison should be put on the list because she has children in town that will take care of her. Then she has children all over that will take care of her. She is well taken care of. She need not be a burden on the church financially. But the ministry to the widows is clear. This is what we see in the book of Ruth. She was allowed to go into the land and take from this land. Our care for widows, our care for orphans, and our care for the alien in our land has to be clear. If there's an international student, especially, Treat them especially well. Why? Because God puts them in a class of orphans, widows, and strangers in the land. And you may not particularly agree with it, but do it. And God will change your heart. They are put in a class with them. And when you go overseas, God will so care for you as well. This is what the Lord commands us to do. But it's clear the teaching. Let it be on us. It says, if, if any... If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows... So if a believing woman has dependent widows, let her take care of them. Don't let it be a burden on the church. If you have means to care for your children or to do things, don't be a burden on the church. Let the church support those who are in real need. Do you see what I mean? It is a good practice. It is a good practice. So appeal to your rich Christian father... Appeal to your rich Christian mother and say, help me out with this trip. You know, live this. Help me out. Here's what the Scriptures teach us. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the clarity of it, for how specific Your Word really is for our lives, and how You want to conform us to Your image. Father, I pray that You take this Word and You just drive it right home into these young people's lives. Take this Word and drive it home into their lives, I pray. Father, I pray the power of God would be poured out so that they would look at Your Word and act upon it. Father, that You would teach them to be generous and specifically look for the orphan, for the widow, and for the stranger in the land. For some have entertained strangers and not even known that they were entertaining angels. Father, I pray for Your grace to be upon these young people, that You turn them to be more Christ-like. Father, let them practice pure and undefiled religion, visiting orphans and widows in their distress. And Father, I pray that You keep them unstained by this world, and I commit them to you in the name of Jesus Amen.